Stand by. Stand by. You have entered a locked orbit with Precinct Omega. Your data has been lodged and recorded. You have one message. Playing message from Precinct Omega. Welcome to this week's episode of the Precinct Omega podcast. My name is Roby Jenkins, and this is another in my fortnightly design series where I'm fortunate enough to have been joined by somebody else who I'm going to hope to persuade to do most of the talking. Um, I've had a few fantastic guests over the last few months, and this week I'm particularly excited to have on board one of the big inspirations behind my decision to get into writing my own miniatures games, and that is Ivan, possibly Ivan Sorensen of Nordic Weasel. Hello, Ivan. Hey, man. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you ever so much for giving me some of your time uh, to talk yeah, about to your, your, your past, present, and future in Miniatures War Games design. Absolutely. So the obvious first place to go is naturally going to be, how did you get started writing Miniatures War Games? We, we had a brief conversation before I started recording, and mm -hmm. I know that like me, you're not somebody who's come into this from an obvious path. Um, but but what has been your path? What ha has your life taken you down that, that's brought you to writing miniatures games for, for fun and profit? Yeah, um, I think to an extent, um, I, th I think this is the case for a lot of people who write that there's just like a built-in urge to like tinker with rules and like see what happens. Um, it's like, you know, in the old days you had kids who took apart like their dad's radio to see what was inside. I think it's the same sort of, uh, sort of drive. I remember being a kid and like always trying to like write my own little board games and stuff. Um, what got me into miniature specifically was like 10,000% of gaming youth, uh, probably Warhammer 40k, um, back in the second edition days. And then, mm. um, Warzone from, uh, the Mutant Chronicles minis game back then. Which uh, is when, now correct me if I'm wrong, so you're originally from Denmark? Yeah. And Mutant Chronicles was a kind of, was a Scandinavian property, isn't it? Yeah, it was a Swedish game from um, Target Games, which is kind of like the Swedish counterparts of like TSR or something. Like they were huge mm. uh, until they weren't huge anymore. That's how these things go. So Warzone, I mean, Warzone did have an impact in, in the UK back in those days, but it really was pretty negligible compared to 40k. Was it really quite a present thing in the miniatures wargaming world in, in Scandinavia? Uh, so where in the like mid-90s era, um, when internet um, stuff was nearly as accessible, I think a lot of it just depended on like the store you happen to like live by. Mm. Uh, so in the town I grew up in, uh, the local gaming store, which was pretty well stocked, uh, they were big into uh, Warzone. They were really pushing it as an alternative to 40k. And for a hot minute, it looked like it was going to be, and then it yeah. wasn't anymore. Mm. Uh, and now the license has been lingering. Uh, but that was kind of like, I think that was the, I think everyone has like, you have the game you start on, uh, which is, you know, 40k for a lot of people. And then you have the game that kind of like opens your eyes, like, oh, there's more stuff out there. There's more ways to do this. Um, and Warzone was very much kind of that for me. Uh, and then not that long after that, I started getting into like historical gaming, <clears throat> driven by an interest in World War One. And then from there, once we had access to the internet, it was just everything I could get my hands on. Um, it was tricky in those days because you couldn't go, you know, like you were limited to whatever your local store could actually order. So I remember like going on the internet and finding like lists of games that people talked about. And then I would go down to the store and try to order them. They would look at the list like, we can't order that. Our distributor don't carry it. <laughs> so well, that has been out of print for 20 years. Where have you heard that name? <laughs> I know. Well, that was the issue too, you know, because a lot of that stuff was stuff that had been floating around. You know, I was born in uh, 1980. So some of that stuff had been floating around since before I was even born. Um, but yeah, pretty much as soon as, you know, I got into miniatures, I started tinkering like, you know, like everyone creates their own units or their own like ridiculously broken characters for Warhammer and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and then from there, uh, just experiment with like little crabby janky games that, you know, I expose my friends to and, um, eventually some of them end up being kind of fun. Um, the actual start to writing, uh, was a 
uh, game called Fast and Dirty, which you still see like uh, people mention online occasionally, even though I haven't been involved with it for like probably twenty years, actually. Wow, fifteen years at least. It was. Um, it had the fortune of being well suited to fifteen millimeter sci-fi at the time, and it was mm -hmm. one of the few kind of big generic games. It was very much intended to be like Starcraft Two, but a little smoother. Um, so for a while, it was sort of an unofficial, like on the miniatures page and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it, it was kind of a, um, uh, like, kind of like what Grunts became for 15mm sci-fi, where it was sort of the norm for a while. Um, so that was kind of the start. And that was really the, like, oh, shit, like, I've written something and people, like, actually enjoy it. And now there's yeah. people wanting more stuff or wanting different stuff or complaining about rules. And now you got to deal with all that. So that was kind of the start of it. Um And then from there, uh, it was just, you know, tinkering throughout the years. Um, back in 2000, uh, I want to say 14, uh, I was working at a really terrible job in an office I hated, uh, doing a job I hated with a bunch of people that I only hated half of. And you're in the states. You'd moved to the states by that point. <clears throat> yeah, this was stateside. Um, and I think that's important to know because people don't imagine that there were bad jobs in Denmark. <laughs> Uh, they're boring jobs in Denmark, uh, but this was like the this was a uh, customer service call center, and right. so it was like the most soulless thing possible. And I was yeah. middle management, which is oh, twice even a more soulless. I mean, at least you weren't settling insurance claims, but yeah, it, that's, that's yeah, it was it was dreadful. Um, and at some point, we were in a position where like we could get by me and my wife for like a little bit of time if I didn't bring in that much money. So I was like, okay. I calculated out. I bet I could make at least a bit of money selling stuff and writing. As yeah, so I quit and threw myself at it, and then from there it just kind of became history, I guess. And um, you, I mean, you have been prolific since then. I, know, I, I only actually have ever bought and played one of your games, which is the mm -hmm. the third edition Five Pass X from Home. But mm -hmm. I, I had a good look at your uh, the Nordic Weasel catalog on Wargame Vault and. There is a lot of stuff there. There's a few. Um, yeah. Um, so one of the benefits, because people ask about it, is that uh, it is an unfair advantage because writing is what I do, you know, for a living. Like, this is my primary job and primary way of making an income. Um, so it's a little bit of an advantage compared to a lot of folks who are doing it, you know, as a side gig. If you're writing for an hour every night you know, four nights a week, there's a limit to how much you could do as opposed to sitting at the keyboard for 12 hours and, you know, banging something out. Um, but part of it too is, um, and I think, I don't want to like uh, polish my feather too much, but um, I think one of the things that maybe does set me apart is that my interests, both thematically and mechanically, are just really wide. Yeah. Um, I tend to get bored uh, doing the same thing. This is the same reason that I've created a lot of like systems and game engines that after a while, I just get bored with the same thing. You know, it's mm -hmm. the same way of doing things. You can take a game engine or take a project and get like two or three variations out of it. And then it's, I want to do something else. I want to do something that's, uh, that's more interesting or capture some other, you know, fragment or, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I'm at the place now with with Horizon Wars where you know I'm I'm two games in to Horizon, mm -hmm. well, but three games into Horizon Wars, and that's that's all I plan to do with it. But people do occasionally say, "Oh, why don't you do a version of Horizon Wars that does this or that does yeah. that?" Yeah. Like, oh, you know, there's there's only so much you can you can squeeze out of a, of a right, 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 right. Like, uh, you're, you're, you're really uh, yeah, and it can get kind of forced at a point. Sorry, um, it could get kind of forced at a point too. Like, oh, you know, like, can you do like uh, starship battles with Horizon Wars? Well, maybe you could, but you know, just have. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. So uh, it depends a lot too on like how abstract or how specific the engine is. Like, um, yeah. from what I remember of Horizon Wars, and I regret to say I haven't had a chance to play. I've just read. Um, you know, like if the starting point is um, has a certain level of abstraction in it, it's a lot easier to like modify it into uh, to other things. Like the more specific you get, um. no, absolutely, it is. Uh, uh, and I mean, you've really gone much wider than I have. So you've you've got historical games, you've got World War Two, World War One mm -hmm. games, you've got 
fantasy, post-apocalyptic, science fiction. In terms of setting, you've gone very broad. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it's fair to say that you're best known for the 5X from Y series, as it, as it seems yeah. to be known. Um, <laughs> the so, naming convention is almost like a story in itself. Uh, um, would, would you like to tell us that? Yeah, sure, because it comes up a lot and people get confused about it. And in hindsight, so I have absolutely like no talent in marketing. So in hindsight, like uh, make sure your names are like easily recognizable and easy to dis- differentiate. Uh, the first, com- well, actually the second commercial game I did, but the first under the Nordic Weasel like branding uh, was Five Men in Normandy, which was a little World War II skirmish game, obviously. Um, and it was called that because... There's a tendency for players always to like play bigger games than mm. quote, you're supposed to with the rule set. So I wanted to put it in the title that you're only supposed to use five dudes, hence the name. And it's Normandy, so it would be clear what you're doing right. So it's a patrol game in you know World War II. Um, then after a while, uh, people wanted a sort of generic version of it that wasn't World War II specific, which became five core. Five, because it was still five dudes. And core, because it was the core mechanics. Um, and the original five parsecs was actually a supplement for that, um, which still had, you know, it had all the campaign stuff, but it was a lot more rough around the edges and a different game engine. So was, the... going back to the beginning, was, was Five Men in Normandy, that was a, a solo game as well, was it? Uh, solo, like, friendly. At the time, yeah. solo gaming wasn't as, like, established a thing as it is now, uh, mm-hmm. so it was a little more. Um, I had played a lot of nuts from uh, two hour war games yep uh, uh which has a heavy solo focus and i wanted to kind of capture some of that but you know with a different take on the mechanics a different take on like the flow of the game uh but yeah so being solo friendly was definitely and the campaign kind of assumes that you're playing on your own uh, but it wasn't set up strictly to be that uh so down the road, I realized that the game engine uh, for kind of sprawling, colorful sci-fi uh, ran into some issues, and it was a little more abstract than um, I think was good for uh, attracting new players. Yeah. Plus, it was yeah, yeah. split over two books, which made it kind of awkward and unwieldy. Um, so I redid the whole game, as which became Five Parsecs from Home, second edition, with what was the nucleus of like the current game system. Um, yeah. And then from there, the spin-offs have all been like five distance units from location uh, in the naming convention. So we've got now, now, now five parsecs from home, of course, which is mm-hmm. in its third edition now via Modiphius Entertainment. Mm-hmm. We've got five leagues from the Borderlands, which mm-hmm. is just been announced. Is is this going to be a second edition? Uh, this is technically also third edition. Um, third edition, five leagues from the Borderlands. Also, just been announced, Modiphius are releasing that. Yes, uh, so, probably end of the year. Depends on layout and you know. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I've seen this sort of the mock-up of the front cover. It looks fantastic. Then there's five clicks from the zone. Is that right? Yeah, uh, which is kind of a take on um, like uh, the Swedish Mutant uh, role-playing game. Oh, okay. uh, it's still a miniatures game, but inspired by kind of like the a uh, Swedish counterpart of like Gamma World or something. Yeah, it, um, it's a post-apocalyptic, irradiated wasteland kind of setting. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like pick your own apocalypse, but now there's mutants and people shoot each other. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, it, and what, a... I was going to say, what other five X from Y games are, are currently uh, the last that. The last that exists now is a beta version called Five Kilometers from Leipzig, which is for uh, Black Powder, um, which I keep meaning to build out. The problem is that doing generic Black Powder, um, you have to like find a way of like hooking you know, something interesting to it. Mm. Um, so it may be, once I sit down to actually do it, it'll be like American Civil War like campaigns or, you know, like everyone does Sharp for uh, Napoleonics. I kind of want to do something that isn't specifically that. Um, well, we got um, so, Joe McCulloch, of course, coming coming now with his silver bayonet fantasy horror Napoleonic, mm-hmm. which will be interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of... So that's one of the things that you always run into, uh, and I ran into this constantly with both Five Leagues and Five Parsecs, is the there's a distinction between like what would be cool to put in the book and what can you like go buy miniatures for. Um, yeah. And with, with Five Parsecs, there were a couple of moments where like this is specifically here... Uh, 
for people to like convert minis, you know, because uh, mm -hmm. they just wasn't anything suitable in the market, but you can't like get it, make it too out there. Cause then like nobody can play the game. Right. But now of course the market for miniatures is so diverse. I mean, it's hard to believe yeah. that there isn't a miniature for anything out there. And it, even if there is, you've always got something like hero forge you can go to and, and you can make up pretty much anything you can imagine. Yeah, it is kind of a golden age in that sense. Um, the other day we were talking about, because one of the player races in the Five Leagues, like glossy Modiphius version, are basically like bird people. And yeah. I was saying like, yeah, you probably have to like do a conversion for these and get handy with some green stuff. And then people found like 10 different ranges of bird people that are already <laughs> out there, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely a, but it is kind of a, when you're writing for stuff, you know, that people had to supply their miniatures for, and you'll yeah. know this as well. Uh, you kind of have to like have an eye on like what's realistically possible for people to like go get. Um, it's also, I mean, my 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 brain is also generally. I mean, I, I I very much sort of had a tried to pitch the idea of playing games with miniatures you already own. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and it, although it is you know it is lovely to give people inspiration to go out and buy stuff, especially from the you know the small independent manufacturers always a, a fan of that on the other hand we all own dozens hundreds thousands sometimes of miniatures and it's so mm -hmm. easy just to you know for, for people to talk about just going out and dropping another 300 pounds on a new army for some other game and i'm like <laughs> just use yeah the miniatures you already have for heaven's sake just find right. something new and different and exciting to do with them Although people also sometimes just looking for an excuse to go out and drop that three hundred pounds on the yeah, I, I get that, I get that. <laughs> but you know, there's, there's there are probably boxes gathering dust somewhere in that pile. I mean, I know I I have oh, yeah. boxes and boxes of, of half painted minis. I just need just need the motivation to uh, to get yeah. them sorted out. Um, that's actually yeah. kind of part of the uh, why. Uh, there's two reasons I tend to focus on skirmish games a lot, uh, not exclusively, but for the most part. One is just personal preference. I always find it more interesting when what you see on the table is reasonably one-to-one -one scale. Uh, but the second is, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot in the last few years, is the barrier of entry. Um, to begin wargaming and miniatures gaming, because um, one of the things that started popping up a lot when we announced the glossy version of Five Parsecs was all these mm. people who were like, who weren't minis gamers. They're role players or board gamers or other people. And a lot of them, you know, they were aware of minis gaming. They had seen it. Mm. Um, but to them, minis gaming meant digesting like a 600-page Warhammer book and yeah. then, you know, spending 40K worth of miniatures. Yeah. Um, and that's just not going to happen. Uh, right. You know, you know, if I'm coming from role-playing games, I could pick up a copy of like Savage Worlds for 10 bucks. That's – I'm willing to – personally, I'm willing to throw $50 down to get into some sort of game I experience. Uh, but I'm not going to burn 400 if I don't know if I'll enjoy it. Quite. Um, so being able to say, okay, if you can gather up like six characters you like the look of, and you can gather up, you know, 20-ish bad guys, and you don't mind proxying them a little bit, you can start playing. You just need this book. And like, I think that's really important. I think that's why like the warband style of games have, um, like for a while, it seemed like every month somebody was announcing a new like warband game. Yeah. Know? Uh, and a lot of them have kind of like come and gone, um, you know, and I don't know if people are like starting to look for the next, like whatever is the next hot potato, but, um, uh, I think that was a big impetus at the time, you know, people were like, yeah, yeah I, I can start this game, even if I have to buy new minis for it, or I want to buy new minis, I could buy like eight and I can actually like play a meaningful game. Um, like I remember being really demoralized way back in the day as a kid, uh, looking at like Warhammer Fantasy Battle and saying, "Oh yeah, you could buy like a box of elves and you can play this game." Except you can't because you need like mm. two hundred more of the bastards. Yeah. But it, I, I suppose actually Five Parsecs is a really good gateway game for people coming from role playing. Mm -hmm. Not not only because of the low count of miniatures, but even from the process of putting your your party together mm -hmm. is very reminiscent of assembling a, a character for a role play game. Oh, and absolutely. A combination um, of pick tables and rolling dice and a, ascribing points and, and finding out backstories and putting the narrative together. Mm. I mean, it's so like, I mean, literally, because I, you know, I've just put a party together for Five Parsecs. The other weekend, 
I, I was out playing a one-shot D&D campaign, and the two experiences are incredibly similar. Mm -hmm. So it, I, it would be a much easier step into miniatures gaming to come into something like Five Parsecs than, than really, I think, any other miniatures game that I've come across, and I, I put mm -hmm. my hands up for Horizon Wars on that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's very intentional. Um, I've always been like fascinated by the, um, the sort of gray area between RPGs and uh, miniatures games. Because uh, to me, and maybe it was just uh, the group I grew up kind of, you know, coming of age playing games with, uh, but we never really had that much distinction between uh, different kinds of games. Uh, you know, like we played RPGs, we played miniatures, we played board games, we played cards. If it was a game and it had like swords and elves, we wanted to play it. That was it. Yeah. Uh, so the idea that these were like very distinct hobbies always seemed kind of like um like abstract like i remember being surprised getting older and talking to people who grew up and they just played rpgs they had never played magic they had never played you know whatever warhammer and i thought it was so strange um and now i realize that's the norm because you know people yeah. have a limited amount of money and time and motivation um, that's right but to me it was always like the, they were always much closer um in my mind and that's some some of the stuff i wanted to do i've talked about it before i think on the blog um that I think the distinction between parsecs and leagues versus some of the other games, uh, Rangers is the one that always gets uh, compared. Yeah. Leagues and Rangers are conceptually very similar. Yeah. Um, I think the difference to me is that the stuff I write is still at its core a miniatures game, but it's wrapped with like RPG elements around it. Mm. Like the core of it is still setting up a you know a tabletop battle and slugging it out. And you know once you get to the rules portion it's wargamer stuff it's cut down because it's a solo game but it's very clearly like you know a minis game um whereas i think with a lot of stuff and rangers i feel um when i play rangers it always feels like i'm playing through somebody's DD campaign you know it's very like driven at a particular experience and that's not a good or bad thing it's just kind of what it yeah, is yeah it's just a different field uh, of the game i mean it, it, it does also address the question of how it is that modifius who published the deluxe edition of rangers of shadow deep Mm -hmm. are now publishing a new fantasy-themed yeah, uh, miniatures game. And you go, whoa, that's an interesting decision. But when you talk about that, that distinction in feel, it suddenly makes makes more sense. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think um, they complement each other like quite well, in my opinion. Um, but I think there's also a lot of people who are, you know, like people just want different things. So you play something that's heavily scenario-driven, is a very specific kind of story. Um, and I think a lot of those people are primed and like, okay, we've had that experience. Let's have something that's more, you know, procedurally generated, more unpredictable, and it's more kind of your story that unfolds, you know. Yeah. When you're rolling through stuff, there's always that feeling that the exact combination of things you just got, statistically, probably nobody else had that, mm. you know. And sometimes it doesn't matter that much. Like, you and me both fought some space pirates, but mine were led by a robot. So, but, you know. Like that's all party like, was completely different to mine with different backstories and different motivations and so different mm -hmm. narrative responses to the events that turned out in the game it's always that yeah. there's so many variables coming together in five parsecs that you're right i mean it, it, it's statistically improbable that two players would ever play even a similar campaign let alone an identical one. Oh yeah absolutely uh, it's one of the things on uh the discord whenever people are posting like oh i just had my first game and i got trashed and people are asking like oh which enemies and you know like it's pretty rare because people start guessing because everyone has like the first tough enemy they fought and got trashed by but you know so yeah it's an interesting um i think it just is a very different kind of experience um and I think there's definitely like room for that. I think also, and I'm going to polish my feather a little bit here. Uh, a lot of games that rely on random tables do it kind of poorly. Um, mm. I think there's a tendency, and RPG guys are really bad about this. Uh, I think I've lost track of how much stuff I bought on like drive through, which, which is like D100 random door fixings and dungeons or something. Like nobody cares about that. Like <laughs> what it should be is if you're making a random door table of some ungodly reason uh is what does this door mean for like the scenario you're playing out you know are there traps that summon more monsters is it connected to something is it a teleporter is it something that's actually interesting and like like adds to the game as opposed the classic to the classic question is is this a door i can break down right exactly like <laughs> um otherwise it's not it's even locked yes but could i break it down if it was <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah so i think a lot of um i think random tables can sometimes be i don't want to say misused but like used poorly because yeah. it just generates like um random guff um, I, I consider it to be the lazy option i'll be honest yeah generally speaking and, and I, I, i'm guilty of using random tables myself as well but i always think it's oh, the last resort if you mm -hmm. can't think of any other way to generate yeah, a satisfying outcome mm. the table is 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 the last last resort of choice yeah um and it's also one of those things and it's funny because uh, people get very like tied to like the written word um so and maybe it's just not as explicit as auto then but it's always been like assumed you know in both leaks and parsecs that uh you know as you're rolling through stuff and you're rolling on an encounter uh, you might suddenly get the idea like oh for this encounter, it would make perfect sense if the enemy like came on from the flank and then this guy was here. And it was always yeah. kind of assumed, you know, you just interrupt the process and have that happen. Uh, but a lot of people get very like tied to, um, you know, exactly as it's written. And I've I've had exactly the same experience with with Zero Dark that that <clears throat> people get very fixated upon following precisely the instructions <laughs> as written in in the in the game and i'm, I'm like yeah, oh, yeah. You know, if, it, if it makes more sense for that enemy model to move in that direction just just move them in that direction it's a solo game you can't cheat at it <laughs> yeah uh, we ended up actually uh as i think you mentioned in your review you know we ended up adding kind of the, the official cheat option which is story points as oh, a yeah. way of getting people in that, in that direction saying okay like if you want rules for cheating here's the rules for cheating you get to do it like eight times and um, here's kind of how it works. Um, now, um, one of the things um, I did focus on, this was a design goal from the beginning of Five Parsecs when it became its own system, was that it is possible to play it, quote, out of the box. Like, if you want to do nothing else but just follow the book page by page and roll on the tables, you will have a scenario and campaign, and you didn't have to make any choices to get there. Um, but it was just never meant to be the end point, you know? Hmm. Now, we're, we're about halfway into our, or half an hour into our conversation. Um, mm -hmm. So just to sort of bring an end to, to this part, you did mention in the past that you have a blog. Where could people find your blog? Uh, the blog is 5MinuteNormandy um, on uh, Blogspot, if you Google for it there, or uh, on Blogger, sorry. So you, you're um, still running the same, the same blogspot blog that you started so. <laughs> for Five Men in Normandy. Yeah, so I uh, still have my own blog. Um, and it's kind of a mixture of musings on design questions, musings on industry, and just general talk about stuff I'm working on. Because um, that's kind of where I wanted to move move the conversation. Else. I've got one more question before I move on to the sort of the... the what I hope will be the meat of this conversation. One of Absolutely. the things that I, I did take a shot at five parsecs over was the absence of photography. And I know you came back to me very nicely later and, and said that you thought that there had been a plan for there to be miniature <laughs> yes. photography, but somehow it just kind of got forgotten in the mix of things. Will we see photography in five leagues from the borderlands? Uh, so yes, uh, just to fill like listeners in, um, the assumption from the early conversation with Parsecs had always kind of been that we would gather up managers, photography, and showcase. Mm -hmm. And then uh, along the way, uh, it just kind of got forgotten. I think personally, I got so excited about having like, you know, a bunch of like glossy artwork that it just kind of slipped. Um, uh, for leaks, be it is. I'll have to double check, uh, so I'm not saying something that is got to end up not being correct. I think there is a plan of having both, um, but don't hold me to that. Uh, I hope so. I hope so. Just because, <laughs> as you know, I mean, I know that, that technically Modifius does have its own miniatures ranges, but most of them are some kind of licensed miniatures. So I, I love this, the opportunity yeah. of, of games like ours to showcase mm -hmm. the, the work of independent miniatures manufacturers that frankly, desperately need oh, yeah. sometimes. So I, I love to see that opportunity taken while it's there. So yeah. I'd love to move on now and, and just kind of move almost more to the content of your blog. Yeah, sure. As somebody who has written so prolifically in miniatures game design with multiple different mechanical approaches, mm -hmm. 
how do you go about getting started when you've got an idea for a new miniatures game? What what does that idea look like, and how do you begin taking it forwards? Yeah, um, a lot of times. So there's a couple of uh, ways it can start, I think, and it just depends on the project a little bit. Uh, the most common for me uh, is honestly some sort of mechanic that comes into my head, a dice mechanic, or a way to resolve something that I think is kind of neat or has some sort of scope. Um, like for the original five core, it literally started with the idea of what if there were no modifiers and you could just look for ones and sixes on the dice, and then it kind of grew from there. Um, sometimes you'll find, so I'll start like fleshing it out. Like, okay, if we take this mechanic and that's a core of how things work, it can be a turn sequence or a combat mechanic. And then you bolt on some move and you bolt on some other things. And a lot of times you'll realize partway through that, that this isn't actually like all that much fun or there's nothing to set aside from like the billion other games out there. Uh, and it just ends up in the, uh, in the dustbin. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it has enough legs or you realize that, this works, but for a fairly specific and limited thing. So that means the game has to be about this. Um, so a lot, I would say at least like half the time, it uh, starts from a mechanical perspective of just um, game mechanics in the abstract. And then at some point it becomes clear like what this will work for. You know, like this mechanic would work really well for a melee-centered game. So it becomes a fantasy thing or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's a... Um, just a project idea that I'm really interested in. Um, I have a holy grail out there for doing a series of World War One stuff uh, that I want to do. Uh, and mm. for that, the mechanics that fit the setting or the period is good. Will it is a remarkably untapped resource, World War One for, for miniatures war games. It's often it's often asked why why are there so few World War yeah. One themed mini war games. Yeah, a lot of it is that we're still kind of shaking off the sort of like public perception that's been hanging out for like 50 years of, yeah. you know, like it's all like men walking slowly into machine gun fire and nothing happened for four years and then suddenly it was over. Exactly. Um, well, anybody who studies the history of it knows how much diversity and new technology and new tactics and new environments were being explored at the time and lots oh, of absolutely. skirmish potential, masses of skirmish potential. Yeah, uh, one of the things actually um, is I think it would be extremely well suited to solo gaming, um, exactly because it allows you to get started without having to chase down some other dude to uh, uh, to start. So that's one of my like holy grail projects out there. Um, mm. So sometimes it's a setting or a specific thing. Um, sometimes um, it is honestly uh, out of spite a little bit to prove uh, people wrong. Uh, what, uh, I have a Cold War game called No End in Sight, which is a very sort of gritty tactical military thing. Yeah. And that honestly came out of a people online telling me that you couldn't have a game where the chance of hitting your target was low because it would be boring, and that you couldn't have a game where you had to deal with wounded soldiers because it would be too, too dreary. Oh. And I was like, no, I bet I can do those, and it'll be interesting. Absolutely. Um, um, or... Probably uh, the moment of me being most coy was writing Renegade Scout, which was a rogue trader uh, retro clone. Yes. Because uh, I kept seeing projects of people getting together online saying, we should do a retro clone, a rogue trader. It would be awesome. And then 17 pages of blog post or uh, forum post later, and it had all gone away. Because that's yeah. how every group project went. And I was like, you know what? I bet I could do it. And then, you know, I did. <laughs> and it was even kind of good. But so sometimes it's honestly just. You know, I get a hair up my ass and um, about something that I I bet it can be done, and I want to show that it can be done. Uh, but most of the time, it's a little less belligerent. It's just like I said, a uh, mechanical starting point, something that's conceptually interesting. I love game mechanics. Love seeing how um, you know. Uh, sometimes it's almost like a challenge. I've written a couple of games where, like Five Parsecs Combat, is incredibly basic and mundane, and that was mm. kind of on purpose. Mm. Uh, both for the solo purpose, but also because I wanted to see if you could make an interesting game that folded around like a really pedestrian combat resolution. Mm. You know, like um, everyone has played a game before, like if you, where, you know, you roll at some stuff versus the target number or an opposed roll, right? Yep. Like there's, there's nothing exciting about those. So, you know, the mechanically exciting thing is more like the, uh, the initiative system um, or things like that. And the narrative, I mean, and one thing, you know, I'm, I'm always quick to have a go at games that do have dull mechanics, but that's not mm -hmm. anything that I 
you know, and I, I had some some things to say about five past X, but that was never on my list of complaints because I never saw that as being core to the five past X experience. Yeah, the, um, the resolution could almost have been anything, and it wouldn't really mm -hmm. have mattered because the experience is is the narrative is is the immersion in the experience of of your crew and their enemies and their story. How yeah, do you know things? It's almost irrelevant. Right, and that's part of why, because um, people who play, if you read like blocks and stuff, uh, like most of the time people say like, oh, they're kind of surprised, especially the first couple of times. Like, oh, I set up the game and like I played through it and it almost took as long to like set up the terrain as it did to like resolve the battle. And that's because the battle is just part of it. Like the game is the campaign. It's yeah. seeing what you did. It's sending your dudes out to like go trading in town and get drunk. And then it's like shooting at the other dudes with lasers. Like yeah. none of them are. Yeah, it's it's absolutely intended to be played as a campaign, um, and that's why each component is kind of short in that sense. Hmm. Um, Have you got a? Tell you what, no, the, to, for me as a designer to ask you this question would be unfair. Actually, I was going to ask you if you've <laughs> got a mechanic that you're dying to use but haven't got around to yet, and I. I think before I can ask you that, I have to put one of my own on the table. That's fair. That's fair. I am. I would love to write a game built around poker mechanics. Okay. Where you play with a deck of cards and each player has a hand of cards and you have to make poker hands mm -hmm. in order to complete actions and your opponent will bid against your hand in a an attempt to defeat you before you reveal what your hand actually is. It would be so tempting to make that a, a Wild West game. Exactly. But <laughs> I've, and I've tried. I've been working on this concept for the best mm -hmm. part of 10 years, and I've not yet made it work to my satisfaction. Right, so, right. But I would love to make it work. I've never been able to do it yet. Do you have anything like that? Do you have a mechanic that's sort of ticking I... in the back of your head, but you've just, just not got it on the table yet? Um, this is going to sound... Uh, kind of silly. Um, I do sort of the the one that got away kind of mechanic. Um, one of the games that always fascinated me endlessly um, when I was a teenager was Games Workshop's Inquisitor, uh, which is kind of oh. a you know, you've heard me talk about that with with Gav Thorpe yeah. and, and uh, yeah, yeah. Other occasions. yeah, it was such a like that out there game, game transformed that, my relationship with design. Yeah, it was such an out there game. It was something. You know, if you were a kid who were primarily into Games Workshop at the time, you had never seen anything like it. No. Even if you weren't, it was kind of out there, you know. Um, and not only that sort of like pseudo-RPG stuff, we just say, to hell with balance, here's a bunch of stuff. Grab things and put them in a game. Uh, and then tied to this like very kind of old-school feeling like percentage mm. uh, hit locations and all that. And that's something I've really wanted to do. Sort of a, you know, kind of mechanically intense uh but narrative sort of pseudo rpg combat system like mm. that um but again it's one of those things where you know like it's hard to actually execute on that because if you make it too vague people are going to throw up their hands and say we have no idea what to do uh, we, we put the big monster and had him fight like seven dudes with no weapons and it sucked like <laughs> which was when i first encountered inquisitor i you know i devoured the book and i loved the contents but i had no idea how to play the game and it really yeah. wasn't until I, because I was in Bosnia at the time, and it wasn't until I got home and I was able to discover the local community and, and the Conclave online community that people were sort of able to explain right. what the game was supposed to do. And at that point, it kind of clicked. And I was like, yes, that, that comes together. I understand now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a whole different, um, yeah, it's just a whole different like track uh, to how miniatures games are played and can be played. And I guess it's, you know, if you read old stuff like Laser Burn or something, it has a lot of like similarities to that, and I'm sure you know it came out. Well, it's like Warhammer Forty Thousand Rogue Trader. You know, the the mm -hmm. original was was very narratively focused. I think it, it's easy. I've just, funnily enough, just done a one of my live stream reviews. Although I don't think I've, I've downloaded it to go up on YouTube yet. Was of um, a book called the Haynes Manual of tabletop gaming mm -hmm. and it, i mean i almost picked it up on a whim because i thought ah, what am i going to learn from some generic glossy right, right. bookshelf book about tabletop gaming 
But when I started reading it, I was really struck by the quality of the content. And I really recommend it to, to anybody who's interested in it. But one of the things that it touched upon was the emergence of our kind of game. Mm. Actually, I'd always thought that our kind of gaming came from role-play gaming. But in fact, mm. it was the other way around. That Dungeons mm. & Dragons grew out of Chainmail, the medieval... Mm fantasy wargaming system turned into Dungeons and Dragons. Right, right, right. And that early tabletop gaming idea was all narrative. The idea of mm. you know modern competitive tabletop wargaming simply didn't exist. Everything was assumed that there was a narrative, mm. that there was a story to be told. And so the, right. the role play game naturally evolved from that. And it's mm -hmm. Our, you know, our modern war tabletop gaming, miniatures war gaming, has drifted away from that pure narrative experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. And I think in a lot of ways, um, it's interesting too because I think people come to this sort of thing from a lot of different paths. Like, there's a lot of ways you can kind of because the drift from RPGs is such an obvious one, so it makes sense conceptually. Like, oh. Of course, this must have been how it, you know. Um, but it's also uh, one of the interesting things um, I was find is the difference dichotomy between historical games and like uh, sci-fi games. And I don't know if you do historical gaming at all, um, but you know, like in sci-fi games, there's a tendency uh, towards the point system, the pick-up game. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the norm in a lot of cases. Whereas with historicals, while that exists, you know, games like Bolt Action and Flames of War have point systems, but the norm has always been like you create a scenario, like you have a GM who creates a scenario and referees it, or you put it together, you know, even if it's as simple as like, okay, this battalion is going here, you're defending there, and maybe your dude's out of fuel, so they're kind of stuck there, you know, like it doesn't have to be more complicated than that, but it's like, there's this assumption up front that, yeah, like, there has to be a context to what we're doing. It's not just 500 points of Germans versus 500 points of whatever. Let's say finish for the sake of argument. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Post-continuation war. But isn't it interesting? And, and this is where... It's nice that you touch upon that, because that's really drawing me to where I was thinking next. Because, mm -hmm. yes... You know, Flames of War, for example, Bolt Action, for example. I'm trying to think of another one. Leaps to my maybe Black Powder, low mm -hmm. to a lesser lesser extent. These are the the modern mass market historical games that are built upon the same lines mm -hmm. as you know a game of Warhammer Fantasy. You know, you, you've mm -hmm. got so many points. Your opponent's got so many points. You might roll on a table to get a scenario but otherwise it's supposed to be a balanced confrontation which of course doesn't happen in reality right but at the same time flames of war bolt action and others like them they make a lot more money than say <laughs> de bellis antiquitatis yeah you know there there is an obvious commercial imperative to follow what the mass market demands which is these mm. balanced relatively context-free wargaming experiences right um up to now as i said i've said multiple times you are a prolific rules writer all mm. of your rules have really been embedded in this idea of the narrative mm -hmm. are you tempted now that you're I mean, Nordic Weasels always had a good rep and good exposure on the indie scene, but mm. maybe hasn't been well known to people. With the Modifius publications, obviously your name is now out there mm. in a much more visible way. Are you tempted to leverage that and write a more mass market, competitive focused game? Uh I'm going to say no purely because that's something that conceptually I've wanted to do as a wouldn't it be cool if uh, for a long time. The problem is that unless you have um, like a whole marketing machine to push that, hmm. I think the barrier of entry to doing that is a lot higher uh, because like any gamer's bookshelf is full of competitive oriented 
uh, army list games that didn't go anywhere. And the only place they live now is your bookshelf. Hmm. Uh, you know, like hands up those of you still playing Vore into the Maelstrom or Void. So, yeah, there's two dudes listening to this who put their hands up. And one of them doesn't remember if he actually played or he just saw it at the club. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I definitely owned Void. I'm trying to remember if I ever actually played it. <laughs> it is still technically out there. It is still technically Yeah, I think Urban War still kicks around, kind of. Uh, I've, I've I mean, lost track of who owns the property now, whether it's still Urban Mammoth or whether it's moved, changed hands again. Yeah, I mean, Warzone is still technically out there, but I yeah, don't know the last time sorry. I heard somebody who said they played. Uh, I, I, it's interesting. In that, actually, th this wasn't in my plan, but I'm going to be really interested in your answer. Have you have you come across Conquest: Last Argument of Kings? Uh, I've heard of it, but I have not like read it or played it. No, but you've seen the game out there. Yeah, I'm just interested because obviously Parabellum War Games and Conquest mm -hmm. and their I can't remember what the skirmish version is called. Um, mm -hmm. They are the latest company to really throw a lot of money at trying to create. A mass market, miniatures centric, high concept, independent game. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. I keep I have kept predicting their imminent demise for the last <laughs> two years or so. Right. Um, and I have consistently been wrong. They are still producing new stuff, they are still releasing new new products. Mm -hmm. Um and yet, I'm, I, I see very little of it being played, certainly in my immediate sphere. I've heard a few people saying, yes, they're interested, and a few people saying, yes, they bought it, but I'm not seeing it on tabletops. What, how do you rate their odds of still being here in 24 months' time? In 24 months? Uh, so that's like one and a half COVIDs. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably still around. Um, I wonder if they've tapped in because their miniatures are like really unique. They have a lot of stuff that looks really wild. Yeah. Um, and you can. I mean, if we're being realistic, uh, for every like rule book they sell, they could sell half a box of minis and make the same. So mm -hmm. if you have an audience of people who are buying these wild, cool minis to paint up and collect, even if they are not getting that much gaming done, you can still you're just a minis company now instead of a war games company. And I don't know if that's the case. I mean, uh, but well, you, you can definitely my, like... My view is I, making miniatures is a miniatures company, not a games company, because that's where yeah. you make money. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I think the contrast is something like Oathmark, which blew up real big, or like yeah. um, Kings of War, which was really big for a while. I think that's fading a little bit. Um, I but I think a lot of... Like, yeah, they're, they're, kind of they're, they're kind of bumping along, Kings of War. Yeah. Yeah, I think the difference with those two, Kings of War and Oathmark, is they, while there were stuff you could go buy, they were also relying heavily on stuff that you might already have or yeah. own from other companies. So it's much more directly accessible. The problem with, it's basically the Warhammer Fantasy Battle mm. uh, problem of saying, I need to buy, you know, 200 new dudes to play this game. Yeah. If I already have some dudes and I can play Oathmark or whatever, um, that's a much easier sell to get people into. Uh, especially in a case where there were still a lot of people at the time who were kind of like adrift waiting for like, oh, all my old Warhammer stuff is sitting on a shelf now because I don't like Sigmar or whatever. Um, so there was a ready audience. So yeah, it's interesting because it's not that often we see, I mean, we see it a lot of like trying to launch a new game with a new minis line and with the whole thing and we're going to have novels and books and t-shirts and lunchboxes. Yeah. Um, and most of that stuff doesn't really go anywhere because it's just really difficult to... The problem is, I think, that that relies a lot. You have to build like the uh, the community, right? The problem is that it's easy to have a community online, but if you have like three dudes in Spain and four dudes in New Zealand and two dudes in Uruguay, they're gonna have a hard time getting together for a game. Absolutely. You know, so unless you have like, I mean, I've never seen uh, Conquest in a gaming store, and again, that could be local. Uh, mm. You know, well, quite. You know, I'm. I'm I'm conscious. I understand it's a bit much bigger in Australia than it has been over here. So I'm I'm prepared to believe yeah. that there are people out there throwing this down on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no doubt somebody. Uh, you can find a hundred people to play anything. Uh, 
the question is, I mean, if they're still around by now, you know, it must be at least breaking even or making a little profit. Um, but like I said, you can make the profit as a minis company, even if nobody plays your rules. That you is know, true. Like, like if you go to any like uh, place that sells historical minis, like Old Glory or something, mm. I realized the other just the other day they had a whole page of uh, war game rules they sold, none of which anyone has heard of. But they sell them. <laughs> but I guarantee you the like three dollars they made on me buying a copy of Trench Wars didn't make a difference compared to somebody buying two hundred like Prussian grenadiers or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Um But yeah, I think it's uh to cycle back to the original question about doing like a competitive tournament basey thing. Um yeah. it's something that I've always um un- I think unlike a lot of people in the indie scene i don't have a like conceptual principle against tournament based games um i used to uh, go to like 40k tournaments back in a thousand years ago mm-hmm. um i kind of drifted out of that like men- that mentality but that's really more like a community thing i just get exhausted by like uh, when people are chasing like the the meta or whatever like yeah. the, trying to solve the game mathematically yeah. that just loses my interest um the problem is that it's also like an enormous amount of work because uh, as mm. soon as you set up the expectation, this is why everyone who writes beer and pretzel games puts it on the friggin' uh, cover of the book because that way you get people to stop emailing you saying that the <laughs> laser rifle is three points too expensive. <laughs> uh, as soon as you have that expectation, uh, you're basically like committing yourself to either maintaining it in perpetuity Mm. And I'm already at a point where I struggle like doing everything I want to do for things I've already done, you know, because there's always questions or updates or things or tweaks, right? Yeah. Um, or, you know, you condemn yourself to just having a community of like belligerent goblins on the internet who are arguing about which units are broken or that <laughs> the whole game is broken. Or you get. Well, I'm going to remember a community of belligerent goblins. That's. Yeah. <laughs> Or it ends up being like a War Machine, where, as one fan explained it to me, because since everything is broken, it's fine. <laughs> like Which whatever... is a little bit, little bit like Malifaux, actually, in that respect, yeah. Yeah, like, um, it's like the Rifts RPG approach to game design. If you just throw everything out there that's wild and crazy, it'll all sort itself out, because you can just... Leave it to the players to figure it out. Um, so yeah, to answer the question, yes, that's something I would like to do, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, and you make some good points there, which I will I will ponder. Yeah, the, the the degree of energy and commitment required in sustaining and maintaining a game like that is pretty mm. extraordinary. It is true. It is true. It is. Um, and you get a situation like was it the Guild Ball guys recently yeah. who said that they had basically like ended up in a corner and there's nowhere else it could go from there and kudos to them for saying like okay it's done its thing it's we're at the end yeah um i'll be honest i i I question the sincerity of of that motivation to an extent but yeah i mean they may just have wanted to to be done you know that is a topic i will be picking up in a future uh, a future podcast episode is uh what 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 guild ball did next because yeah. uh, it's the story becomes yet more interesting. Uh-huh. Anyway, we are we are approaching the end. So uh, yeah. first thing before we we wrap up is, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, what are you working on now? What next? What can we expect? Be it from Nordic Weasel or from a partnership with a with someone else. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to preface this by saying that uh, the world is crazy and we could all be exterminated by meteors tomorrow. So if any of these things don't play out, don't come running to my inbox. Uh, <laughs> um, what? So there's uh, some things for certain. Obviously, five leaks is going to happen. Uh, text is done. All of the, uh, the bespoke art is done. Mm. Um so that's making its way through like layout and proofing and yada yada. That should be out uh, by the end of the year. Uh, the overlords have committed to we're going to have lines of probably like 40-ish page uh, expansions for both Five Leagues and Parsecs. Yeah, I, I should say that the first expansion for Five Parsecs was, was released just a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which was a big bunch of just ways to hack and tweet your game. More stuff, mm. more things to do. Uh, I'm working on the second expansion for that as we speak, and they're pretty committed in. Uh, there has been talk of a third title, uh, but I don't think I can say anything about that. 
Um, with five leaks, everyone, like a third of the gaming base was basically predicting it was going to happen. The other third was asking when it was going to happen. <laughs> and the last third was asking, like, is there a fantasy version? So I don't think it was a surprise to anyone when we announced it, but it was exciting anyway. Uh, on my own, uh, there's a couple of overdue projects. The original five-course skirmish games uh, need an overhaul, uh, particularly because they are so old that I was doing them in, like, Libra office at the time. So mm. like, while my personal layouts and designs are still a little indie and grungy, uh, I can definitely do better now. And there's been, you know, just stuff that needs catching up. There's a couple of um, overdue projects. There's a... Um, Fantasy supplement. I did a series of medieval skirmish rules called Night Pike and Sword, and there's been a. The audience for that is really small, but extremely uh, vocal in how much they want fantasy. Uh, so I need to get that finished. Um, the I'll throw out the holy grail of what I want to do, uh, with the caveat that it may not be soon, but it's something I would like to work on probably next year. Um, you got me started. Two. I want to hear this. Uh, there's two holy grails. One of them is literal because I want to write a Arthurian war game, uh, but I'm not sure what the format and setup will look like. Uh, what I want to do is because everyone does dark ages because everyone of wants course. to do the like realistic King Arthur. Like yeah. I want to do like Malor, like uh, Mallory, like warfare with knights and all like Excalibur. Yeah, what like movie? have some right, like have some magic, have some friggin' knights in your plate armor and caparisoned horses and ladies <laughs> with their arm in shimmering samites. Absolutely, you know, and Saxons everywhere. Uh, that's what I want to do. So that's a project that's like out there. I'm a big Arthurian nerd. Um, yes, yeah, you, you, you've sold me already. <laughs> uh, the second, like I alluded to, is a great war project. And mm. in my mind's eye, it would be four games that would kind of like span all of it so two games on land one platoon level which i'm actually writing on right now which will be pretty cool and then a um probably about regimental levels you have like the skirmish level and more of a battle level hmm. and then just a shot of all the people who keep asking about it finally do naval warfare and air both of World War ah, i i wish you good luck i i have been <laughs> toying with naval warfare on it and off for a long yeah. time. And every time I start, I think, well, I've got a reasonable design, but this is a very dull game. Yeah, the problem is that there is a lot of, like, one, the audience is really, like, tech-heavy and, like, gear-heavy. They uh, really and, are, yeah. And two, like, it kind of is a traditional warfare. You know, you read mm -hmm. about ships that took, like, 30 hits in a battle, and then yeah. they sailed back. So you have to find a way of. So that's a challenge. I've been gathering. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be uh, interested to see how you tackle that because I, I decided that was an idea that had defeated me and I was not going to touch it <laughs> with Yeah, I had originally said I just wasn't going to because every like naval war game I had read except for one um, was just really dreary to play. Yeah. And the one I like, which is Mongoose's old uh, Victory at Sea, uh, all oh, the Grok. Wow. All the Grok said it was crap, so it's, <laughs> yes. it's entirely possible. Because Warlord have now got their, their Seas of Blood game, of course, which, mm. again, le leaves all the, the Grognards chewing upon their pipes and spitting out yeah. their beer. Um, because it's <laughs> See, just not accurate enough. Uh -oh. Yeah, like, I'm one of those people who actually enjoy Black Powder. I just don't have these 6,000-foot gaming table that they apparently expect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I also have enough hubris to suggest that maybe, like, a fresh look from somebody who's coming from a different background might actually, like, produce something. But I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'll probably do the airplanes first because that seems a lot more easily solved. Fractionally easier, yeah. And um, a honestly, um, a, like, solo campaign-oriented, like, World War One fighter game sounds freaking dope. Mm. No, I, I agree. I, I, I think, as you said that, I thought a, a solo narrative fighter game does sound like a like a winning concept. I like the sound of that one. Yeah, that is fantastic. Be... Uh, Ivan, before I let you go, is there... Yeah. I mean, obviously, I should say to my listeners, um, you can find Nordic Weasel's publications at Wargame Vault. You can find the Modifius versions of Ivan's writing on Wargame Vault as well as on the Modifius website. Absolutely. Uh, you've got a Nordic Weasel website. Where's that? Uh, actually, it is just the blog. I am. Uh, oh right. Like I, as I said, I'm crap at marketing. So if you search Five Men in Normandy" at Blogger, 
that will come right up. Um, I do also have a block space assigned on the Modiphius site, um, which will see more use for uh, Parsec specific stuff. And uh, we do have a Discord out there, which I think is uh, linked in at least the Five Leagues book. So people who are interested can come hang out there. Just well, if you, I mean, if you want to send me a Discord invite, I can stick it into the show notes, and then anybody who who sees it can come along and check out the Discord. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really nice community, and it's kind of a broad community because people come from every possible angle to it. So uh, we do enforce our rules pretty strictly to keep the goblins out. Good stuff. All right, well, thank you ever so much for sharing your thoughts and some inside views into the mind of Ivan Sorensen. I, I really appreciated your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Warning. Warning. Docking plants released. Decoupling complete. Thank you for visiting Precinct Omega Star Pharaoh. Safe journeys. Until next time.